Welcome to episode 191 of the Bitcoin podcast. No, no. this isn't. This doesn't count towards an episode. Oh, hey everybody! Welcome to a special, non-existent episode of the Bitcoin podcast that exists. It's a very special release. Uh, We we wanted to get you guys Corey's talk and. he talked at the Point Super Conference. He talked about um, the reality of living, and well, they uh, gave us. Did you Did you listen? Did you even, You were in the audience. Did you even <laughs> listen to it? Yes, I did. I, I was. I did not. I was playing Candy Crush Soda Saga the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> the, whole, the whole time. No, Corey gave a talk. An excellent talk on um, the social implications of a blockchain infrastructure, which basically paints the picture of the world that we currently live in, where everything is client-server model on crack. But what does everything look like in a blockchain model? And uh, it's a good talk. And so we're going to run through some sponsors to pay the bills here. We've got to pay our internet bill, water bill, and light bill. Um and then um, we're gonna go straight into the talk. So, all right, let's bust up uh, with some I ads. You guys are gonna like, gonna like the way I intro this. Uh, did you invest in Tron, and now your family is mad you're not rich? Well, now you can home the bacon another way, Butcher Box. Huh? I That's like good, it, right? <laughs> I like that. I like that. Love That's it. good. All right, so we're, we're brought to you by the good folks at Butcher Box. Uh, they believe, and we believe, in a healthier food system where everyone has access to meat the way intended, free of antibiotics and hormones, and it's tasty. It's good stuff. Uh, it's a, it's delivered to your door every month. Talking like eight to eleven pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken heritage, bred pork, directly to your door on a monthly basis. It's really awesome. Uh, quality cuts of meat from farmers who take care of their animals, treat them humanely, and feed them a diet they were actually meant to eat. Visit ButcherBox.com and enter the code BITCOIN at checkout to get $10 off your first box, and you get free bacon. Hence the, the Tron joke. Yep. Comes for Soko. Um, um, and then we're also... You, did, oh, what's up? Dude, I was going to do the uh, jingle, the official uh, jingle of ButcherBox for crypto. Beat, beat your meat? Nope. That's not it. You're making it crash. Okay. <laughs> this is it. Uh, unlike what you're used to, this is meat. You can't beat. I like it. 
Yeah. Um, you, get some, you need to get a symbol for yourself so you can like ting ting whenever you get, <laughs> get to that part. <laughs> What's next? We got, also, we got one more. It's right? also March Madness time. Yeah, it's March Madness time. Uh, so support for today's show comes from bookmaker.eu, a premier sports book service for the U.S. for over 30 years. They provide all your sporting bet needs. And they're taking all of those years of experience and pivoting the crypto. So you can make your college basketball picks with Bitcoin today at bookmaker.eu slash Bitcoin podcast. That's right. We got our own URL. Visit that URL today. Sign up. Claim your exclusive 100% welcome bonus. That's up to $300. And they offer live in-progress betting on every major sporting event, not just March Madness. And that allows you to wager on the games uninterrupted from tip-off until final whistle. That's bookmaker.eu slash Bitcoin podcast to claim your 100% welcome bonus when you make your first deposit in either Bitcoin or fiat currency. Booyah. What else we got? I know we got my crypto. Oh, we do got You want to you take that one? Use my crypto. It's the best shit in the game <laughs> when you're trying to use Ethereum. He's not lying. <laughs> That's the best ad ever. The best shit in the game for wallets. <laughs> okay. I mean, I mean, is it not? I mean, I, if if you're if if you're if you're trying to interact with tokens, you're trying to get ENS. If you're trying to you know securely store your wallet or have access to it, if you want to use your your ledger nano or ledger blue or or treasure that stores your ethereum and whatever ethereum tokens you have it does it all and it's it's safe it's secure it's easy to use it's got a friendly interface and if you have problems they have the best support team in the entire ecosystem what's not to love it's the best shit around my crypto's never gonna let you down. <laughs> that was a good. That was a good one. Oh, yeah. oh! I need to get on the fucking payroll at my crypto, making up jingles like that. We kind, we kind of are. You're a crypto Uncle Jesse, man. <laughs> I like it. Well, um, uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's jump to the interview. Say interview. Um, also, we're gonna put this. Uh, well, it's it's me. It, and I don't know. It's just I'm so used to saying that. It's me talking to people. Uh, I'm interviewing them, but not actually. In the end, I do take questions, so people yeah. are interviewing me. Uh, anyway, terrible segue. Uh, we're also going to have this up on YouTube, so if you want to actually watch it and watch along with the presentation, because there's actually some slides that don't have a lot of words on them, but may help with visualization. Um, go to um, the YouTube or the Bitcoin podcast YouTube. Yeah. Just Google search the Bitcoin podcast. It'll be there as well. So if not, take a listen. You should be able to follow it. Have any problems? Go beam us up. Here it is. Uh, there it is. There's a red light. Corey Petty, Bitcoin podcast. Thanks All for being right. here. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Right. <laughs> Woo! So... Social implications of blockchain infrastructure. What does that mean? What's the point of that? Um, I want to give you somewhat of a different viewpoint from a infrastructure standpoint, how these computers are put together, and when we build on things like that, what that means. So first off, 
why should you even listen to me? Who am I? Uh, my name is Corey Petty. I have a PhD in computational physics. I'll tell you why that's any relevant to this whatsoever a little, in just a little bit. But uh, I currently work for Booz Allen Hamilton in an innovation lab called Block, uh, Dark Labs. They have tasked me with trying to find the intersection of blockchain and cybersecurity or figuring out new ways to fix cybersecurity in industrial control systems with blockchain or even the vice versa. What can blockchain do to help, so what can cybersecurity do to help fix maybe some of what blockchain problems have? Um, as opposed to my PhD work, uh, I did a lot of quantum mechanics calculations on massive supercomputers. And what that means is what you optimize for when you do these things is communication. That's the bottleneck of how much of a, how big of a problem you can do. And when we think about blockchain systems and these networks that we talk about, that, that's a pretty good analogy. And so while I was doing my work, I learned about Bitcoin through some, I don't know, I think it was a TED talk about what is money. And it, it was interesting. So I dug in and through this same scenario we've all been through, fell down the rabbit hole and kept going since about maybe late 2012. When I was doing a postdoc, we, me and my co-hosts who were in the audience started the Bitcoin podcast, where, which has grown fantastically over the past three years into a network of shows where we try and educate people about what we do, um, what, this, what this thing we call blockchain is going to end up being, where it came from, how it works, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this talk is certainly not investment advice. I'm not selling you anything. This is not some subscription service you apply to and can't get out of. This is not an ICO that I've previously gotten into that I'm gonna tell you about, so hopefully I make some money. It's just a different viewpoint. I wanna give you something that you probably haven't heard before because I haven't found it. And it's kind of some information that I've gleaned over the years of uh, trying to figure out what it is that we're doing or what it is that we're trying to build and fix. So. The core idea of this, and what I think it all boils down to, is that good technology enables new or more efficient human communication. Because at the end of the day, we're all just humans trying to communicate. And when we develop new and new, newer and newer technologies, we're just trying to do that better, more efficiently, faster, or newer. And so when we try to evaluate these things, why is it doing this? What is it doing that makes us do whatever it is we want to do better, faster, or newer? So keep this in mind. We're going to come back to it later. I want to start by introducing you, if you haven't heard of it, you probably have, what the client-server infrastructure model is. This is the way we've built the internet. This is what has enabled all of the things that we do, the live streaming, these computers, talking people online, chat systems, Facebook, you name it. Whatever has made your life better so far, it's because of basically, the client-server infrastructure, how these computers talk to each other. And what it is, is basically, you have a, a server where you keep all of your information, and if you would like to access that information or interact with it, the data itself, you then access it. You have a, you have a, you have a client that's lightweight that calls out to the server, gets its information, calls back, you change it, you talk to the server. If you want to talk with someone else on that application, you go through that server. And it has certain implications on how you interact with things. When you build an application, when you build some service on top of this computer infrastructure, it forces you to act a certain way. 
some consequences of this is that you adhere to the trust constraints. You're trusting the server. You're making sure that if you give it data, which it manages and you change, so on and so forth, through whatever application you're using, you're trusting that they take care of that data. You're trusting that they're not selling that data. You're trusting a lot of things. But what you're doing is you're putting a lot of trust into someone else. We'll talk about what that means here in a little bit. But what you're also doing is regardless of who you're communicating with through whatever service you're using, you're restructuring the relationship that you'd like to have with whatever that application is providing you with. So if it's an intimate relationship, you better hope they're not selling your data or looking at your messages. If it's financial relationship, you better hope they're not selling that type of thing. It doesn't matter, You're just you just have to trust them and there's no other option. Sometimes this comes at a severe cost of the relationship. There's certain things you don't want to do online because you have to trust someone else to hold the data or the service that you're doing. And um, for those who are actually holding this data, they're beholden to the custodianship and the responsibility for the protection of that data. You make massive honeypots of information that they have to then spend large and large amounts of money to try and protect so that we don't have security leaks, although we're going to have them anyway. So as we've scaled this kind of idea out, we keep building more and more client-server applications and models, and the internet grew and grew and grew to what we know it is today. It's done a lot of really wonderful things for civilization, but in a sense, this is how it looked. You had client-server application, talks about other client-server application. Say maybe a user on this application wants to talk through someone over here, they have to go through these interconnections. Servers talks to servers, so on and so forth. This isn't perfect, but it generally gets the idea across. It then gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And slowly but surely, this is what we have. This is everything that a child was like maybe one in 2000 understands. This is the way they understand social communication of the internet. Think about that. This has, what kind of human does this make? If everything we do that enables our communication and we rely on, these phones that are now become so pivotal in our lives, what kind of human does it make? What is it, what kind of social implications do you start to think about if it's just the background noise of what you do or what you know? You drastically increase the reach of things. You can talk to someone across the world in no seconds at all. But you also offload a lot of the responsibility, and this becomes normal. Oh, I had a problem with this person that I bought, some, bought something with. It doesn't matter, the bank will take care of that. I don't have to worry about storing my passwords. I can always secure them because the server has it. If I ever have an issue, someone else is going to take care of it. You grew up in a civilization where offloading responsibility is standard. And that's an interesting social consequence. You also have data hoarding. The people who enable these services for us, they don't make money off you interacting with them. They make money off all the data you give them, and it's incredibly valuable. Your identities, your digital identities, are not yours. They're whoever has them, and they make money off of that. There's a trade-off of information and convenience, right? If you would like to use these services to make your lives better, you're gonna give away some of your privacy, some of your convenience, so on and so forth. Machine learning requires data. If you would like some type of really, really cool bot that understands that you're gonna have an event in two days that asks you to remind you about it, you need to know more about your personal life. So there's a trade-off there. And there's a real big centralization of value that becomes large honeypots for people to go after. So if we think about this in terms of a linear scale of trust and trustless, we've built the entire internet system on a completely trusted situation. So think of it of a pendulum attached to a string, right? 
And then blockchain came along and didn't like this model. They understood that. But they were very ideologically aligned to say, do we need trust at all? What happens when we build a computer network system that can't have trust? It's 100% trustless. What does that look like? What does that do? So we built the blockchain, right? Now this is some version of visualizing what a blockchain works. I'll walk through it a little bit because it's confusing and hard to visualize. So you have this network of nodes, networks of people that are running, that are running different types of software, all running the same software that follows the same rule set. Maybe there's different roles in these people, but they're all following the same rules. And one person in the, in the system wants to talk to someone else. He says, I'm going to broadcast the message. So he broadcasts the message to the whole network. And you end up with just a pool of messages of saying, declaring, I'm going to do this. It follows the rules. That's it. But these rules don't really care about whether or not they're capable of doing it. In Bitcoin, the rule is, I'm giving money from this person to this person. If you have the money in your account, then you can give the money to someone else if your addresses are valid, so on and so forth. So they're not very restrictive. As long as you follow the rules, you can do whatever you want, and no one can stop you. Validators, which are somewhat um, promoted members of the of the system, then take all of these messages together, aggregate them up, and then put them in a block. The method in which they do that is called mining, or consensus, depending on what system you're using. There's a, we can talk all day about that, but that's the general idea of what's going on. I want to do something, I'm broadcasting it, someone checks to see if it's following the rules, it gets recorded into history immutably so that everyone has a copy and can see that. So when you do something, everyone can see it. What kind of person does this make? What does it mean if for a child who grows up in a world where everything is trustless, everything is permissionless? Is that a world we want to grow up in? Uh, it has a lot of other social types of consequences that are both good and bad. It puts the responsibility of the individual solely in their hands. You can no longer offload responsibility if you live in a completely trustless environment. If you lose your private key, your money is gone. If someone steals your wallet, your money is gone. I'm talking in the financial aspect here. You can't offload the responsibility of dealing with your things to someone else because it's your responsibility. There's nothing else you can do about that. Now you can start to then use third-party services as custodians, but you're trusting someone. That's not completely trustless, and that'll, I'll get to that here in a moment. But you're also spreading the value distribution. If you take someone's note off, if you hack an exchange, you don't break the system. You can't take the whole thing down by taking a single part of it. It'll adapt. You spread out the distribution of whatever value is in that network well or better. It's all relative. Because all of the data, all of the value, is held at the end nodes, the people who are using this network, the people who are trying to build on top of this network focus on actually providing service through transit. They're going to transform your money. They're going to give you something you can do that just makes it a little bit convenient, but they're never holding the data. They just transform the data and move it somewhere else. And when you're building applications on something like that, that's how you make money. You don't hold it for people, because in a trustless environment, they hold their money or whatever value it is. Furthermore, you have a very large scale agreement on information. As opposed to the client server model, I'm not going to back up, you keep that in your brain. Data on one application 
maybe doesn't correspond to the same redundant data on another application. So when you have things like a consortium of banks, you have to have a lot of middlemen which have to keep track of who has what, do a lot of auditing to make sure no one's cheating each other. In a trustless system like blockchain, you have one central source of truth. Everyone checks it, everyone trusts it. So we've gone full tilt the other way. We've created a new system where you can build things where there's responsibilities on the other end of the spectrum. It's completely trustless, but do we want to build a new internet only on this? The internet that we made is on one system. We had one option. You had no other option. This is another one. But in reality, it's going to be everything in the middle. When you think about, and this is kind of where, where I think we are now, I'll get to that in a moment, but in the beginning, you've changed the way you interact with people based on the way the computers work together. You changed the social interaction to the tech. We didn't like the trusted part of that, so we built blockchain. You're still doing the same thing. You're going to change the way, possibly, you interact with whoever you're interacting with based on what the tech allows you to do. But in reality, I think the real switch, the real thing that's going to disintermediate or drastically change or you know, whatever buzzword you want to use for what this technology is going to do is the switching in, instead of us changing our social interaction, our communication with other people to the tech, we're going to start building, changing the way the tech works based on how the interaction should work. And I think that's important. So we'll start picking and choosing of things in between this. In some contexts, trustless is fantastic. In other contexts, trusted is very fantastic. But the nuance of social communication and us as humans and what we want to do, there's now a plethora of options in what you'd like to do. So when you evaluate new coins, when you evaluate platforms, when you evaluate systems, start to ask yourself, what are they doing what types of interactions are those people who interact on that system supposed to be doing? And how have they chosen tech appropriately to cater to that action? I think that's important. So back to this, good technology enables newer, more efficient human communication. The fundamental layer is us just trying to do stuff. We're using tech to make that better, not conforming to what the tech allows us to do. Now, we actually have options. We never did before. So, with that in mind, we're still very, very early. But when you have judgment on these things, it should at the very least start to think about this. How does the technology cater to the social interaction? And what does that mean going forward? How does that make us better or more efficient or new in communicating? Does it save money? Does it offer you something you couldn't do before? Is it scalable? Is it private? Do you need to be private? There's a lot of things like that you can start to then ask yourself instead of following some rubric of things you're supposed to ask on is this going to work for how it should work? Because all of you have some type of domain that you're good at. And when you start to think about how what your domain does and your expertise in that system and how to apply this stuff to it, that's how you do it. How does what are the constraints that a completely trusted system has? Does that work with my trust constraints of whatever my domain expertise is? Then it's probably not very good. Is there a part of it that I can implement into what I do? How does that work? 
Let's take a component of the trustless system and put it into what I do to make it better. So, plug. This is the Bitcoin Podcast Network. We've interviewed a plethora of people. We love people. We love communication. You can see because I talk about it. Uh, we un attempt to understand all angles of this space from the way this decentralized, permissionless money enables people to do things they could never do before, how it impacts enterprises and how they make their fish systems better. You name it, we're going to interview that people, not just CEOs or ICOs or things that are the flavor of the week. We release probably weekly, at least. Well, every Sunday, you're going to see a new episode from us. We have nine, almost 12 new shows coming up on the network that we release regularly. So it's, it's just a steady stream of content. Cover it all. And we have a live Slack space where we answer questions, so on and so forth. If you're interested, bring, bring it up. I'd love to talk to you. Cat, long catalog, and that's it. So thank you. That was uh, Corey's talk, Social Implications of a Blockchain Infrastructure. Um, if you were there and you heard it for a second time, good. If you've already listened to it uh, via YouTube, excellent. Um, I think Corey should take that talk and grow on it even more. That's just my opinion. I think he's got an excellent, um, excellent thought there about what society could look like um, when there's an option outside of the client-server model. Right, I don't know. What do you think, Joe? Uh, I think it was a good talk, and it uh, it appeals to the layman. Yep. And um, in the last three months, my portfolio has dipped fifty percent, so I'm getting sidetracked. Yeah, you are. Not a good time, but it was a good talk. Can I and say something? I feel your somberness through the market's behavior in the past few weeks. Like uh, I can feel it in the ether. I get it, man. This this gives the the builders time to build without distractions. It's good either way. Well, you've been in. I think. Okay, so you didn't actually start investing in this until far, far after we had started the show. Right. Yeah. Like I well, sent you some when we first met, when we first started this, started mining Litecoin. I ended up buying your Litecoin off of you. So reluctantly you too. You didn't have any. Uh, <laughs> you didn't have any crypto at that point, right? You'd spent all the little Bitcoin on like your wife's uh, wedding ring and like a desk or something. So you weren't yeah. investing until like maybe last year, right? Yeah. So I, so I was an early investor, and then I panicked. I didn't panic sell, but I panic bought. I bought a TV and a bed frame and some miscellaneous items. That is and, a panic sell, though, because you're buying stuff with yeah. your crypto, so you no longer have crypto. You basically said, oh, this isn't going to go up anymore. I might as well get the most out of it. Guilty, yep. And then uh, early last year, you changed your tune. I did. And now you're going through what is probably your first significant uh, hype cycle, boom and bust cycle for crypto. Yeah, yeah. Um, Corey knew when the when the kind of liquidate a little bit of it, but I'm like a long-term holder. So I've been seeing all my alts go from like 
50 cents to 10 cents. I've been seeing Ethereum cut in half. I saw Bitcoin's Bitcoin. cut in half. Yeah. So Litecoin's cut not yeah. in half, but almost in half. Yeah. Everything's down. So this is tough. I, I know where your head's at. Yeah. Um, but but I'm not going to panic sell this time. I'm I'm a lot stronger for it. So one thing that I and said. And it's embarrassing to have a Bitcoin podcast and the panic sell. It's embarrassing. <laughs> well, one thing I said is that there's people think that holding and taking profits are mutually exclusive. And I would like to um, say that they're not mutually exclusive. You can have a core position and still take profits. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's what Corey and I did right before this epic downturn is I still have plenty of crypto. I have a core position, but when I saw a win and I needed to take a win to make some massive changes for myself and just take that profit, I did. And I still have crypto. I still have a core position. Um, me too. Uh, I bought in, I rebought back in the Bitcoin when it was at 2300. So I'm, I'm not in the red. It would take a something catastrophic for me to be in the, in the red. Uh, 2300, yeah. Oh, okay. Last year. Last year. Uh, yeah, I got in uh, almost a year ago. Oh, I rebought in almost a year ago. So, I mean, I'm so, still doing good. It's just wasn't not doing, doing as good as I was in November. You had <laughs> Lambo dreams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You and Sheena were like, I want a purple Lambo. I want a dark green Lambo. Is that how oh, it's going? Those those times are coming, man. I I I believe that the market cap is going to hit three trillion by Christmas. Oh, I think uh, it'll shatter that. Not by Christmas, but the height. I think its height will be close to ten or fifteen trillion. Oh, for sure. So I mean, we're so early, and um, but I'm hustling a lot, man. Like I'm doing I'm doing freelance work for uh, some consensus projects. I'm doing conference presentations for crypto CEOs. Um, I'm shilling myself as an advisor. Some some are legitimate, some not so legitimate. Because you but never be know, careful, man. man. You're going to fuck around and get a subpoena. Hey, I'm not naming names. But uh, I am the Johnny Appleseed of crypto, and I'm just planting all these seeds. Uh, some of them probably won't bear good fruits. Some of them are. And, um, you know, if I end up broke uh, at least you could say i wasn't proactive about it so i'm trying to succeed i just want to be successful can you hit me with some drake that's a no that's all right i'll take it i'm going through the rolodex of drake songs oh um wait 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 one that you sing after you say i i'm gonna does the grind i want to be successful oh yeah Anyway. Well, he's pretty successful. Yeah, successful enough to have that friggin' to break Twitch. Yeah, that's ridiculous, man. Or it's awesome. Well, I, I don't know. Well, Kim dot com actually had a hand in that. He was like, uh, he he was texting Drake, and he he has Drake in his phone as Aubrey, which is, you know I guess that's his real name uh, to illustrate that he's real friends with him. You know what I'm saying? That's like having Snoop in your phone and it's under Calvin. Like, come on. Just call him Drake. Anyway, yeah. that's a pet peeve of mine. Anyway, so he was like, hey, look, I'm really in the video games. And he was like, oh, well, you should join this guy's channel. He's pretty big. And then it just caught wildfire. And I'm just thinking, it's like, man, what if 
what if LeBron James was like, hey, guys, I'm really trying to get into Bitcoin. And like Larry Bird is like, hey, you should join the Bitcoin podcast for an episode. Like, <laughs> that's what I meant by surreal. Like, that guy didn't wake up that morning and know that all these rappers were going to be on his channel. So, oh, I don't know. Okay. That's what I meant by it. was like, you know, the, that was a lightning in the bottle moment that just catapulted his channel. I mean, you never know. Well, aside from Drake, like, uh, there's other big news in the in the world, especially in the crypto world, right? Yeah. Um, so this thing that kind of I don't know why you I always know when the ma- mainstream media has done a good job of shitting on crypto is when my family members start texting me if like am I under a bridge yet or something like that. And this yesterday morning I got a text from a very close family friend, uh, not family friend, uh, just just from a family member, and they were like, "Hey, Google's banning crypto. Are you okay?" And I was like, "What?" Do they want you to fail? Huh? (laughs) Do they want you to fail? Do they only text you bad news? Oh, well, I actually read an article today that your people closest to you, (laughs) the people closest to you actually, um, it's not that they want you to fail, but they're going to keep tabs on the failures and not on the successes. What's and so it can become a negative self-fulfilling prophecy if you're only trying to find validation of your hard work from your inner circle. Because the chances are there's people in your inner circle that are only cataloging your failures. Maybe it's something, it's just a natural human thing. Right? Okay. Like, for instance, if we're all playing a game on a LAN, on local area network, and there's that one friend in the group that's really, really good at the game, and everybody is like, oh, fucking, I hope you drive that warthog into a wall and die. Right? Like, it's not like they don't care about the guy. It's just that they just want negative things to happen to him because usually that doesn't. It's lonely at the top. Sure. Well, um, where I was going with that, uh, Google Ads, right? So, one, I don't think they're banning everything. I think they're just going to make it really more expensive. Uh, because that's how they're they're just gonna be like, oh, you want some crypto ads? Well, it's gonna be like thirty thousand times more expensive than it used to be because it's a crypto ad. Um, if I were Google, fuck it, why not? They got rid of the do do no evil slogan a long time ago. Um, two, I don't I don't know. Like, you can't really advertise a protocol, so Bitcoin is gonna advertise itself, and cryptos, the different cryptos, the ethers, the Litecoins of the world, um the maybe the block stacks of the world, maybe the golems of the world, these people that are actually trying to build something significant, they're going to advertise themselves. So, you know, I've never seen a golem advertisement. Never needed to. But I know about it because it's doing awesome shit. I've never seen a loom advertisement. But I've heard about it because it's doing awesome shit. So that's moot. Um, what about legit companies like Coinbase? They can't advertise. And... Isn't that going to slow down adoption? Yeah, but that goes back to what I just said. It's like advertising, I mean, doesn't, it's not everything. Well, Google fucked over YouTube. YouTubers with the new algorithms, they can't profit off their videos anymore. A lot of them are pissed off and looking at Steam and perhaps long run. I mean, people think it's awesome because we've had enough of the censorship, but this is what it was designed for censorship resistant. 
And here we are, getting resisted. Well, Facebook. No ads on Facebook. Not on Google now. Now you can't do it on YouTube. Well, then what's the response? Does the community build a decentralized Google? It'd be really, really tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, it says something when Facebook and now Google are banning crypto ads across the board. It makes me think that they're they're banning it because the general idea is that crypto is bad, ICOs are bad, alts are bad, and it's all a scam. Well, and, that spirals directly into what we also what are we the John Oliver segment that we wanted to kind of talk about. We brought it up on um, Buy or Sell with the Hell. We brought it. We're gonna bring it up on here on a, an on ramping with D that we previously recorded. But he outlined uh, a very real situation in which there's people scamming people out of money, and that's not a good thing, ever. So, you know, he just pointed out BitConnect, which was a scam. He pointed out the Pump and Dump group that had an explainer video that they bought on Fiverr for probably 45 bucks, explaining to the public how they're manipulating markets and profiting from it. Like, that, that stuff is bad, and it's real. So if I were Facebook and Google and I wanted to make sure my brand wasn't tainted, yeah, I would remove an attack vector that could taint my brand. Taint, taint, taint. taint. I agree with I agree with the you know, your your feelings about the John Oliver segment. He should have focused more on the use cases besides transfer of value, and it would have been impossible to do justice to all the novel cryptocurrencies out there so i kind of get where he's coming from but he should have at least explained a bit about smart contracts and their potential applications and furthermore by the end he says that it's gambling and not investing and that's a strong statement to make and it's unfair as investing comes with risk and his main argument is that eos or other currencies might not make it the same can be said for investments on the stock market exactly i mean I also got into that on on ramping is that invest you could call anything a gamble. Some people they put their money in their mattress and their house burns down. Okay, sorry. In Greece they put their money in the bank and the banks were like, mm, funny thing about that is we don't have it anymore. And they were like, wait, what? You're supposed to have the money. You don't have the money? Where's my money? Like, we don't have it. Good luck with your life. And that's pretty much how that conversation went. So, mm-hmm. I mean... So that combined with the Google banning ads, do you think that... I mean, I wonder why the Bitcoin price went under 9000 when that news came out. Is it traders betting on sentiment, or is it not related to that? Do you and JJ think it's just normal swings? Um, I think it's just normal swings. Um, I don't think any... One, I think it takes severely major events to move a market. I think in well, Bitcoin sense, maybe not, maybe not that severe, but it's getting to a point where it is kind of severe. And it's kind of like Tetris: the successes blink and go away, and the bad stuff just kind of piles up. You know, how many like, views? How many views do you think that John Oliver segment got on YouTube oh, alone? Probably close to a million. Out on YouTube, I'd say maybe 1.7 million without looking. If, if I told you that it got 5 million views, would you think that that's enough to kind of tilt the needle a little bit? Did in he get three 5 days? million views? Yeah, in three days. Mm. Maybe. Maybe that's what did it. I mean, if there's that... 
there's this much uncertainty in the market. Maybe that's what tilted the needle. But and then and then if you look in the comment section, what are you gonna get? Uh, I told you guys it was monopoly money. Now yeah, you know you're a bag holder. Well, this you know is what nothing I mean? that I haven't been experiencing since 2012. Yeah, this I know. It's just a repeat of the same cycle over and over again. Like, what's gonna happen when the Lightning Network proliferates and all these different tokens? program the lightning network like you can build an you could build an ether token that could communicate with the lightning network okay cool like there's there's so many tech advancements on the horizon tech doesn't stop so what are the where are those people going to be the next time when the price when the price gets back to like 15 grand here sometime this year where are those people going to be it may not even be this year could be next year but where are those people going to be are gonna cash out now that they they bought in at nineteen thousand. They're like, fuck it, I'm done. I've lost enough money. Yeah, they don't care about hash graphs and lightning networks. They just they're like, this is the nail in the coffin. And what I could say to those people is that maybe you're right. You're most likely wrong. I mean, this same spike and crash, you can copy and paste its form throughout the entire history of Bitcoin. And as long as the hash rate keeps going up, I don't understand, you know, what 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 fundamentals are changing. It's not. So, I don't know. Well, keep holding, everybody. But let's talk about things other than price. Because the price is only important to getting people into the space. Right? So the Lightning Network. It's taken off, man. To the point where one group of devs got a $2.5 million capital influx from Jack Dorsey and some others to continue development on their protocol. Lightning Network Labs, I think is what it is. Um, you can receive payments when offline. Yep. And it works on your cell phone. Yep. And you can receive without mm-hmm. having any Bitcoin in the first place. Mm-hmm. Welcome, uh, grandmothers everywhere to crypto. Now it just takes great user interface. Where's AOL when you need them? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think people should, people should send out like uh, ether cards in the mail the way AOL sent out discs. They should. They really should. What I've about cross-chain atomic swaps? What about them? I knew you were going to say that. Um, I have a link here that says, "Do you ever heard of Komodo? Komodo developers demonstrate Bitcoin Cash atomic swap." I have not. But so I'm interested. In December, the developers of the open source Komodo cryptocurrency performed an atomic swap between Komodo and Bitcoin Cash. Um, if you're unfamiliar with Komodo, they are a digital asset that aims for privacy-centric ideas, just like everything else. Anyway, oh, and if you don't know what atomic swaps are, they allow two parties to transact between two blockchains. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so someone put like the the code for the first bitcoin hash atomic swap 
and it was successful. Uh, but it looks complicated. But I think the cool thing is, is um, they used a two of two multi-signature mechanism, which can be used if the trade needs to be canceled, which I've never heard before. Yeah, I think if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I think atomic swaps allow you to like if I take Bitcoin and you only have Litecoin, you can still pay me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bitcoin won't be disabled except during periods of like high mempool congestion. Mm. That's the only time the swaps are gonna Beautiful. fail. And so the they tear down side chains. Oof. Yeah. So they, they tear down these major roadblocks. Um foremost among them being a current lack of security in cryptocurrency trading. So I think it's a big deal. Oh, man. There's some sexy stuff happening. Did you see what Blockstream made? They made, a, they made uh, some progress on the liquid sidechains now with the pegging. Now it takes 100 confirmations for this peg to be locked in with 100% like security for you to be comfortable. So on the Bitcoin blockchain, that's 10 minutes times 100. That's 1,000 minutes. How many hours oh, is that? A lot. Thousand divided by six. Each six goes to a hundred fifty three. Three. Yeah. Doing that's math. A lot of hours. Man, crypto is like a it's like a museum with many visitors and a small door which needs a larger door so people won't pay so much in order to get in first and won't have to stay and wait at the doors. <laughs> wait at the door. Wait at the door, bitch. The fancy we door. Segwit is coming, and then we're good for the next couple of years. Dude, we talked about Segwit for like two years, and then it went active, <laughs> and it's taken. It's take. It's going to take another full year for it to be like fifty percent, and we're still going to be talking about Segwit. But anyways, yeah. that was one scaling battle. The fungibility battle is next, which Vitalik kind of solved recently. But we're just going to leave that for a later show. Um, yeah. Now. Uh, What was I going to say? The liquid sidechain. That thing looks beautiful. So essentially after, what is that, 17 point some hours? What's 50 over 3? Let's just solve this for everybody. Doing math on the air. Doing math on the show. 17 hours. So about 17 hours, you've got a peg. And then on your sidechain, you have ultimate liquidity of transactions that can happen infinitely fast. Basically, do whatever you need those transactions to do, right? And then when it comes time to settle to the Bitcoin blockchain, you settle it. And all the Bitcoin goes where it's supposed to go. It's beautiful, man. It's beautiful. The whole, I think their main consumer is going to be exchanges, and that's what they're going for. Because exchanges are the ones putting so many damn inputs and outputs on the blockchain as it is today. So if you can get that off the chain, but still have it pegged to the chain, ah, oh, beautiful. What if what if you allowed a miner that spots a double spend attempt to steal the stealer by crediting a percentage amount of the double spent transaction to himself? So wait, miners steal from the stealer? Yeah. So the the risk left is like a big miner trying to do a double spend for him for himself. Because Which, then quickly you can get miners trying to contact other miners to encourage double spins so they can get more money. Yeah, but you could also see that the that the risk of having a transactional double spent is reduced as the incentive 
to try it decreases enormously. Game theory. Boom. Right? Is that... I don't think that is game theory. It's game theory, but... I don't... I think what would happen is eventually miners would just, like... There'd be a grouping of miners that would want people to double spin. So they would actually be both creating the wallets that are double spending and basically just circulating. Well, no, then they'd be circulating their own money. That doesn't make any sense. Mm. I need a whiteboard for that, my friend. I get all my best thinking <laughs> with a with a dry erase marker in my hand. Oh, speaking of which, um, there, uh, what was it called? There's a digital whiteboard that that um, debuted at South by Southwest called like the Google. Oh, uh, what was it called? God damn it! I hate having a brain fart on air. Anyway, it's uh, affordable and will be available this year. Um. But you're, you're, you seem like you want to keep it old school on the whiteboard. Yeah, because it's better. You know what they just released too? A study that said that people learn better by reading books and not from reading from a screen. Well, that study doesn't matter because everyone's going to... That study was brought to you by books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was that done by Barnes and Noble Scientist Lab? It probably was. <laughs> I need to hire some scientists real quick. I got something I need to keep to the people. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, this is a pretty good short episode. We tried to have it be a midweek for you guys, um, but we had some audio difficulties as we're trying to upgrade our services. Not services. Upgrade our equipment and the way we record. Um, to get you guys better sound quality, we made a hiccup, and we had to re-record. So that's on us. We, but we hope you enjoyed Corey's talk, and we hope that you know you brilliant thinkers write some op-ed pieces about what what does the future look like? What are the so- social implications of blockchain infrastructure? Where we now have this option outside of the client-server model, we have this point-to-point connected world, right? I don't know. I don't even know where to begin. I know it'd be exciting to try and think. I don't know how fast we get to Minority Report. Probably be my favorite years. Spielberg film. Oh, hands down, Minority Report is probably one of the most underrated films in the past fifteen years. Easy. I saw uh, Wrinkle in Time. It was shit. I'm yep. gonna see Tomb Raider tomorrow. It's gonna be That's shit. That's gonna be shit. Um, but Annihilation was really good. I've completed my second watching of the Matrix trilogy this year. I watch the Matrix trilogy four times a year. It's a thing now. How's uh, that hold up? That's holding up quite well. So our good buddy Tom introduced me to a video where these four people break it down, and the Matrix and Zion, get this, are programmed. The Matrix isn't there to keep humans in check. Like, humans keep the robots in check with the Matrix and Zion by making the the humans... We knew the robots were going to try and take over, so we gave them a fake world where they can always keep trying to defeat humans. So Zion and the Matrix are fake, built by us. We never get to see what the real world is, ever. The only programs that we ally with are the Oracle and the Architect. We built those two 
to manage the whole thing, to make sure the war that's keeps a, going. That's a theory, though. That's not... There's I mean, a million it's all Matrix theory. theories. It's a, it's a movie. It's fake. But I mean, I, mean, I got my theory, but... What's your theory? I think that the machines are slaves to humanity. Yeah. Towards the end of... For, for the architect's smugness, it seems to me that humans have a pretty cushy existence inside the Matrix. Earth is destroyed, but we live on with all the perceived amenities of the modern world while the machines toil away to keep us perceived material comfort. So if the resistance achieved their goals of freeing us, they would have billions of unplugged humans all in need of rapid medical assistance to adjust to the real world. Zion could barely feed their own people. Now they're supposed to sustain billions of disorganized humans on a dead planet. So there's this humanity versus the machines war. And um, the machines continue on because they are the ones under the delusion that they are in control. Mm. Such a great, great movie. The machines are programmed to think that they won the war and they need humans as a fuel source. But the machines slave away to keep up alive while we live blissfully unaware in a digital utopia mirroring the supposed pinnacle of human civilization. Yeah, but then they said in this other theory, the Merovingian is a Neo, but he just got bored. And when they rebooted the system, like they do, like it goes from the Agent Smith kicking Neo's ass to the sunshine and rainbows, there was another. There's a Neo that survives, and Merovingian was one of them, and he's an anomaly, and that's why he can do all the things Neo can do, but he's just bored and lazy. Is that the guy who? Had Monica Bellucci? Yeah, that's the guy that had Monica Bellucci. Mm. Whose name, I think her name is Persephone, right? In the movie. And Persephone was kidnapped by Hades. And that's where Winter comes from. Every year, Hades is a dick. He goes and kidnaps Persephone's. And then when Persephone is released from Hades, the sun comes out and the flowers grow. And there's rainbows, a.k.a. spring. Mm. So Persephone gets let loose. It's deep, man. Those guys are deep. The Wachowski siblings are deep. One of them is a chick now. But yeah. They need to make more. But, anyways, uh, uh, that went well. I'm going to watch the Animatrix later this weekend. Uh, cap it off. But, yeah. uh, hey, hey, doesn't it feel good when Pori's not here to cut us off? You want to talk yeah. about comic books next? It does. We'll, we, we'll, you want to talk about comic books right now? Oh, we'll save it for the next next time. We'll save it for the next time. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, I got some. I got some conferences real quick. We're gonna be at. Well, we may or may not. Uh, the Crypto Invest Summit. Uh, you can join us for two days of presentations, pitches. Visit CryptoInvestSummit.io for more information and secure your spot. Also, get your tickets for Asia's biggest and first crypto co- cryptocurrency event, the CryptoCon.com. It's going on March twenty third. Tickets are going fast. Also, Token twenty forty nine, twentieth and twenty first of March in Hong Kong. It's the largest digital asset event in Asia. Uh, go there. Also, Blockchain <laughs> National Conference, an event organized by uh, a journal. It provides a unique platform to learn. There's going to be a lot of people there, uh, including Damon John from Shark Tank, the FUBU guy, the black guy. Uh, I don't know why I said that. Uh, John McAfee. Why did you uh, say that like that? I don't know. Uh, Frank Abagnale from uh, Catch Me If You Can. He was the Leonardo DiCaprio 
guy. He's going to be there. So go to bcnation.com. Uh, or also uh, cryptoworld.co, promo code exclusive to our listeners, BTN15. Uh, you get some some uh, ticket price shaved off on that. Uh, that is cryptoworldco.com. Also, D and his coworker is going to be at Draper University. I realize we're probably sponsors of way too many conferences. Um, draperuniversity.com. Uh, get your tickets. Meet D. Maybe I'll be there. I don't know. But that's where that's where we'll be at. Okay. Well, all right. Um, that's pretty much all we got. Um, you can find me on PlayStation Four. If you inbox, if you DM me on Slack, I'll get you my PlayStation Four username. We'll hang out. I'm getting a pro. I'm you are. A pro. Oh god. Yeah. Are you gonna get gold too, so we can play video games with each other on the internet, or are you just against yes. that? I might. Um, I'm getting the God of War Pro bundle April 20th. So, yeah. I don't. I miss the gaming days. I miss the gaming days. I've had to roll it back into my life as a stress reliever. I've been on that Star Wars Battlefront. Getting headshots on that game is so relieving. They blow a hole in the Stormtrooper helmet, and it sizzles. Mm -hmm. It sizzles. So you can see like a little sizzly fire when you shoot them with a laser across the map. See, I'm that thinking the I'm, I'm thinking the two guys who did Columbine, they just wanted a stress reliever. So it's a good thing we have video Ooh, games. That went pretty dark. That's too soon, my friend. Too yeah. soon. Right. <laughs> oh my god. We've got to end this episode now. Shout out to Zoe Saldana. We know you're listening. Play 